Hi, I'm Kaylee Moore. And I'm Emma Samasco. Welcome to Freelance Writing Coach, your go-to podcast for building a freelance writing business. In each 20-minute episode, we'll do a deep dive into one area of business with the hope that our insights as successful freelance writers will educate and inspire you. This season of Freelance Writing Coach is sponsored by Ava Gutierrez, a freelance writer who's helped other freelancers quit their jobs and reach their $10,000 per month writing goals. This all happens inside of the client acquisition system, and Ava has a special gift for our listeners. Grab her training on how to make your first $10,000 from freelance writing at freelancewriterframework.com. Learn how to make your first $10,000 as a freelance writer, all while making sure you're working with ideal clients on projects that you actually love. Go to thefreelancewriterframework.com to get access. So on this episode of Freelance Writing Coach, we are going to talk about subcontracting. Once you have a regular roster of clients and you have lots and lots of work coming in, you might think about scaling up. And to do that, you might subcontract some work to other writers. But it tends to be a bit of a sticky topic for freelancers. Like a lot of freelancers don't want to subcontract. They're afraid of doing it or they're worried about the quality or they think that their clients only want to hire them and they don't know how to handle, you know, telling a client that they're subcontracting some work. So Kaylee, tell me a little bit about your experience with subcontracting rather and where it fits into your business today. Yeah. So I love subcontracting. I think it's one of the best things that I have done for my business in the past eight years. As if you've listened to the previous episode, you know that I have some control issues. So it's been difficult to do this, but I found that like mentally, physically, as far as just, it seems to do wonders for me and for the business. So I use it kind of in a very specific way where it's a little bit of a jumping off point for me for the work that I do, whether it's help with research or first draft or just kind of organizing research that I've pulled together. Maybe I'm having a hard time. I've been too in the weeds with things and I need some outside perspective on like, well, how should I best go about organizing things? So we can get into the nuts and bolts of how you and I both use subcontractors a little bit. But first, I want to talk about kind of some of the main benefits and just kind of start from a zoomed out perspective. So I think one of the biggest benefits that I've noticed is as a freelance writer, you're just you, right? You can only do so much. There's only so many hours in the day. But working with subcontractors allows you to scale up your service-based business and earn more money without getting into that trap of overworking or becoming super burned out. And anybody who's listening to this is probably dealing with this or has dealt with this somewhat recently. And it's kind of one of the biggest drawbacks to freelance writing is that it's so easy to fall into that trap of overcommitting and overextending and you end up just hating the work and resenting your clients. It's just kind of a downward spiral from there. So for me, that's been the biggest perk. But I want to hear from you because I know that you you do a little bit of it as well. What do you think the biggest perk is for you? I mean, I think the biggest perk is just like getting me out of a feeling of immense overwhelm. And I think a lot of the benefits for me are for similar to what you're talking about that allows me to take on more, to not have to say no to good projects, even if I don't have time for them because I can make time for them. But the other thing that I use subcontractors for is like if I have a lot that comes on my plate, 
all of a sudden and not necessarily at work, like because I have a, I have a toddler, like, I don't know, he gets sick or the nanny cancels or something like that. And I have a team of subcontractors that I can go to like in emergency situations and not to say like, oh, can you get this done in 24 hours? But like, if I'm having a really difficult week for whatever reason, and it might be work-related where there's too much on my plate and it all hits at once, or it might be personal that I can say to a subcontractor, like, hey, can you take this off of my plate for me? Can you get this done? And then I edit their work and all of that. The other thing is that I have repositioned my business a little bit. And I think maybe this is where you and I approach it a little bit differently. So my business is called Stories by Us, and it used to be called Stories by Emma. And I purposely made that name switch so that it would be easier for me to talk about using subcontractors with my clients. So it wouldn't be like, oh, you're getting Emma. It's Stories by Emma. It's like, okay, yes, I'm Emma. You're going to work with me. I also have a small team that I work with. And like a lot of times I'm not bringing in that small team, but I really like the ability to offer more services to my clients if I want. So some examples of the ways that I've used subcontracting, of course, I use it for writing, probably very similar to you do for like research, writing, first drafts, but I also use it for other services. So when I do case study work, I offer design services and I work with a couple of designers who I subcontract that work to. I just booked a new project where we are basically taking video interviews and making them into blog content, but the client needs those video interviews edited as well. And I'm not a video editor. I'm sure I could figure out how to do it, but I'm just going to hire a video editor and then I can offer that service. And that allows me to almost be like a bit more of a boutique agency, which isn't necessarily my goal exactly. It's just like, I like that flexibility and the ability to like seem a little bit bigger than I am kind of. Yeah. Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. And it's kind of what you touched on, but it gives you that time to also focus on doing different things with your business. Uh, Maybe that's like building out your pipeline and handling the sales aspect of things, nurturing the client relationships, really, like you said in the last episode, you really are trying to go above and beyond for your clients and really just kind of be that go-to person that they always turn to when they have a project. And then also like creating new services and products. So it gives you the mental bandwidth, I think. It frees up just enough space to be able to do those things, which is really nice. Yeah. I mean, I think what I say to people now is that like it used to be that, I don't know, 20% of my business was sales and 80% was like doing the executional writing work. And these days, like 80% of my job is sales. I just feel like when I say sales, I mean just like nurturing new clients, putting together proposals, managing existing clients, communicating, and I still am executing a lot. Like I do definitely the majority of the executional work for my business still, even with the subcontractors. But like I found that as my business has grown and I'm selling like higher ticket projects. Like when I first started, you know, if I was getting paid for just like a blog post, I just needed to execute on that writing content. And I wasn't being paid enough to sort of manage the client and work on anything strategic. And now I sell bigger packages with more strategic offerings. And I'm sort of focused more there than just executional work. And I will say that I think as you grow your business, you start to get sick of doing just the writing. Yeah. 
And you get better at the sales side too. You really understand like what the people who hire you are looking for and how to communicate with them, how to talk about the value of what you're delivering. And for more junior people, that's really daunting. And also it might suck for a lot of people. Like they might hate doing that. So this type of working relationship, they get to learn from you and they don't have to do that sales piece of the equation. So for a lot of early stage freelance writers, that's a really big benefit. Yeah. And I would say like, if you're an early stage freelance writer listening to this and you're like, wow, sounds like a nice problem to have to need to subcontract work. I would say to those people, like look for freelance writers that are really busy and see if there's any opportunities to subcontract. Because I know that's a way that I got started subcontracting for other freelancers or subcontracting for agencies. And that was a good way to just get that executional experience. I do want to touch on something that I hear and I have heard many times from coaching clients and friends which is this idea that, well, I can't have a subcontractor do the work because a client is hiring me because I'm the writer that, you know, they see my face on my website, they see my face on LinkedIn, they are hiring me because of me. So I hear this all the time and (laughs) my response was like pretty tough love, which is like clients actually don't care about you at all. Like it's true. Client, they care about having high quality work delivered on time and that gets them the results that they want. Like they don't care that it was authored by Emma Samasco as long as it's like Emma Samasco quality. They really don't care. Like I think that is something that freelance writers get like stuck behind the ego and the control of like, you know, it gets wrapped in identity. I really hear this a lot. Have you heard that from people too? I have. And I think the one caveat to this is people get stuck on the fact that, oh, I've signed a contract or I've signed an NDA. And my thing with that is if you're going to work with a subcontractor, make sure that you have documentation in place, a signed agreement between you and your subcontractor that says you are bound by the same NDA that I am with my client. So make sure that there's clear communication about that. Make sure that you are very upfront about like, can they use this in their portfolio? And and what's the process for that? And will they be working with you directly? And, And just be really clear about the guidelines and expectations and kind of the do's and don'ts for the working relationship. And I think that that's really the only like major stumbling block that people get hung up on when it comes to this piece of the conversation about subcontracting. I'm really glad you mentioned this because I hired my business lawyer to create a contract specifically for my subcontractors, which everybody should actually be using. I mean, if you don't use one, like that's fine, but it's the same as like not doing a contract for other work where it's like you put yourself at risk, right? And some of those things are about like, non-solicitation clauses. So like you don't want your subcontractor to like go behind you and be like, oh, actually I'm the person writing. Why don't you hire me and I'll do it for cheaper or something like that. I mean, I have good relationships with my subcontractors. I'm not particularly concerned about that, but like I think that it is very wise to have formal legal protection in place for that, including the NDA, like all of that. I want to talk to you about like how I manage this with my clients because I think there's like a few ways that you can do it. One is you don't have to tell your clients. You could say like, you're partnering with Emma Samasco and here's the, here's the, the deliverable. And they, like I said, they don't really care about how it's done and you manage the NDA on your end for your team and you can keep them in the dark. And I think that's perfectly fine. I have done it before. I prefer now to say like someone on my team is going to work on this. So these days I say, okay. And I'm honest, like I say, I don't, 
have the bandwidth to do this myself, but one of my associates or one of my team members or something can take it on. And then I assure them, I say, just so you know, anytime my team member works on something, you will interact with me completely. Like every piece that my team creates is fact-checked and proofread and edited by me. So you're still getting the same quality. It's just that I want to be able to deliver you with the highest possible value. And like, I can't do that because I have like a zillion other clients and things to do, right? So do you tell your clients that you subcontract or how do you handle it? Most of the time, no, because it just varies the context that I'm working with a subcontractor in. It varies so much. And I think at the end of the day, again, like I have the contract agreements with the people I do work with on, you know, non-disclosures and all that is taken care of on my end. So the only thing I really make sure to do is that I am getting my eyeballs and my edits on every piece that I'm putting my name on. So it's never like I'm just sending a draft from a subcontractor out the door. It's always still something that I have touched and made sure that I approve of. So it really, at the end of the day, is still my work. Nothing goes over unedited. There's always still a lot of back and forth that goes on. So it's still my work at the end of the day. And I know that that's kind of a gray area. It's pretty ambiguous. Again, like there's so many different contexts and ways you can work these types of relationships, but that's ultimately kind of the bottom line. And again, I think a lot of it comes back to what you said of like the client doesn't care about the nitty gritty. They just want to make sure that you're doing the work and you're putting your stamp of approval on it. And I will say, I have heard that this is really, really critical because I had somebody who was working with a subcontracted writer and she went to do her review of the draft that was submitted and there was a ton of plagiarism in the draft. And so if she hadn't checked that, she would have submitted it as her own work and it would have been a huge problem. So I think that it's important to do that. Yeah, no, I agree. I also think that I want to talk a little bit about like how you can set up your subcontractors for success because that's what some of this conversation has reminded me of, of like it is a back and forth. So I know that you have like a creative or a writing brief template that you sell that could be used for giving this to a subcontractor. The way that I have been doing this recently is I will share a Google Doc with the subcontractor that I want them to do the draft in. And I don't care if they write somewhere else and copy and paste everything into the draft. And at the top of it, I provide a brief because I want everything for the subcontractor to be in one place. And even if that includes like notes that the clients have given me, like I put everything in there. I actually use like a table, but do like a one by one table. So it's like a nice box and it just says writing brief and it has, you know, audience. I can't remember all of the things that I have, but it's pretty standardized for me so that, and I tell them like, I want it written in this Google doc, like deliver this Google doc. And then that way I also have the link to it. That's the agreed upon spot where everything lives. I found that to be a good way of doing it. How do you manage that? Exact same way. I will say that I have an onboarding document. So anytime I work with a new subcontractor, there's kind of a getting up to speed as far as expectations, process, and all that. So it's documented. They have to review it and sign off on it before their first assignment. So I think that onboarding and processes are a really big piece of this equation. And I have some digital products that I'm working on related to this. They're not out yet. But it's funny, when we were putting together our notes for this episode, Emma, you wrote the sales page for this product, and I was literally just pulling from the things that you wrote to kind of fuel our conversation on this, to touch on the pain points and the stumbling blocks and like, how do I do this well? So 
yeah, I think that onboarding and processes are a huge piece of this puzzle. And without them, things can get a little bit tricky and messy. Yeah. Actually, this reminds me of like some other stuff about this. So uh, when I recognized that I really needed to subcontract, I really worried that I didn't have good enough systems in place to be able to subcontract. And I hired a coach actually to help me like refine my systems so that I could subcontract. And it was actually pretty helpful. And I'm going to share some of the things that she recommended, which are food for thought. And I didn't do all of them, but they're good things to think about. So one of the things that she suggested for subcontracting is to standardize your project rates, like really standardize them. So for example, if I'm writing a case study, I always charge, this is an example, by the way, like I'll tell you more about how I interpreted this, but her advice was like, okay, you're going to create a case study for a client. It's always $2,000, whether it includes design or not, whether it includes interviews or not, like that's just what the product is. And if someone doesn't want those things that you include, like fine, but it's always $2,000. And then you know if you hire a subcontractor to do it and you pay them $1,000 for the writing, let's say, then you know you're making 50% on that and then you can better plan out how much money you're going to make, et cetera. And I have struggled with this advice ever since she gave it to me because like, I don't think that for my clients, standardizing the case study, for example, is the best way to go because so many of my clients have like established case study processes. Some need design, some don't. Like, I don't think it's fair to charge somebody two grand for a case study when they've like already done the interview and just need me to write it up. Like that didn't resonate with me. But I do think that depending on what your business is and what you offer, like there is room to say like, this is a standardized package and this is the part the subcontractor does and the subcontractor gets paid X. And so like, I know that when I book a case study project, I'm going to make X if I use a subcontractor, basically. Maybe that's like sort of convoluted. But the other thing she talked about was different strategies for how to allocate work to a subcontractor. So like, for example, if you have an ongoing client that you do stuff for every month, you could hire a subcontractor to basically do all the work for that client. And then they really get to know that client. And that's kind of your agreement. I don't do that kind of like really ongoing work in that way at this point. But, but these were like some interesting ideas about it. And it does make me think too about like, well, how do you decide how much to pay a subcontractor? And I actually think it's like kind of a tricky thing because I care so much about making sure that writers are well paid. So I'm not willing to hire someone that's really cheap, even if they're really good, but that's also so hard to find anyway. So like, good luck to anybody out there looking for that. But I feel really strongly that like a writer needs to be paid fairly. And so I often subcontract and take very little from it. Sometimes I take a lot depending on like how much project management there is and what the project is scoped at, whatever. But sometimes I'm like not making very much off of that project. Like it's maybe a 10% markup or something. And that's because like I want to hire a writer. Like I really, really trust to do it. So like I'll hire our friend Ashley or even you, although I haven't hired you in a long time to do any subcontracting work because you're way too busy. (laughs) You have the same problems as me. But occasionally I hire Ashley because she tends to have some availability to squeeze me in. And I just pay her her regular rate because I know that she will get it done, that I'll barely have to edit it. It will be really high quality work. It will like make my life way easier. And so like, I don't really care about like making loads of money off of it when I work with her. It's not about that for me. It's about, it's about continuing to like service the client 
like the highest possible quality and like freeing up time for myself. So it's not always about like, let me scale this up and make like a zillion dollars. Sorry, my alarm went off. Um, I, everyone, I was telling Kaylee that I had a lasagna in the oven and that's the, that is is the alarm. That is the problem when you're a freelancer and you work from home. You're like, I'm just going to put in a lasagna. Oh, wait, I have to record a podcast. But everyone, we're going to finish this up before I take my lasagna out of the oven. All right, Kaylee, you tell me a little bit about how you think about the, like paying the subcontractor while I'm gone. Okay. So back on track here. So I think that this is a really important conversation when it comes to subcontracting is like this idea of what kind of cut do I take? What should my margins be? And again, like there is no one answer. It varies so much. It's, it really depends on how much work is the subcontractor doing on the particular project. And maybe that looks different on a case by case basis. It probably does because so often of the time, nothing fits into nice, neat little boxes. So I think that it really depends. And again, it's the convenience factor you have to consider. What's the quality of work? How much experience does the writer you're working with have? So lots of things to factor in there. But I think that that also kind of introduces an important piece of this puzzle, which is the importance of sourcing and vetting the writers that you work with in a subcontracting capacity. And that's, again, another big stumbling block for people who are considering this. It can be really, really difficult to find people who you work well with on a personality or work style basis, but also on a quality basis. So my recommendation for finding and then vetting quality writers is have a spreadsheet where you're tracking the people that you've had conversations with. Keep really organized notes on what their strengths are, maybe what their experience is um, as far as like expertise, background, industry that they work in, subject matter that they know, clients of yours that they've worked with if it's going to be an ongoing relationship. So you're, you're sure you are keeping organized on who knows what, who's worked with what kind of clients and, and topics and things like that. But also ask around to fellow freelance writers too. If you have a network of people who do similar work, ask them if they have people that they send overflow projects to and if they're, you know, might have more capacity. That's a good starting place. It's also a really good idea for junior level writers or people who maybe aren't quite as busy as they want to be to, like Emma said, reach out to people who are doing kind of work at the level that they want to be doing, maybe are a little bit further along in their career, clearly very busy, lots of demand, reach out and say like, hey, if you ever have overflow projects or you are looking for subcontracted writers, I'd love to work with you. Here are some samples of my work that are relevant to the type of clients you work with. And again, like have a lot of documentation that explains your expectations when somebody does come on board with you and, and outline like what your workflow looks like. And again, just be very, very organized with keeping track of notes, communication back and forth, really make it a collaborative experience. I like to think of it almost as an apprenticeship where you are training another writer to do what you're doing at your level. So it's on both sides of the equation, really, really helpful. But I do think there is some upfront work that needs to be done first. Yeah, I am finding it interesting how organized you are, Kaylee. Like I am much more fly by the seat of my pants, not with like necessarily when I do a project with someone, I'm I'm organized there. I talked about the brief earlier, but with like my list of subcontractors, I have like four to five people I know and trust And I just go to those people over and over again. And sometimes if I can't find someone, I ask around. I have people that email me often that are like, do you have any overflow? Do you have any overflow? And 
I haven't really like personally hired those people, but not because I think there's anything wrong with them, just because like there's effort required to like onboard someone that's new to the business. So I am of the mind where like I would rather pay more to have someone who I feel is going to be able to execute. Although, you know, I say that and I I have recently had some new people. Sometimes what happens is like if you are a freelancer and you put out an ad for like, I need a subcontractor, you might get like a zillion people and it could be very overwhelming. Like if you tweet, oh, I'm looking for help with this. Like I feel like I do that and then I get like 30 responses and I can't really go through them. And then I end up being like, Kaylee, who should I use for this? Right. So I still advocate doing that. As a new freelancer, I still recommend getting in touch and being scrappy and pitching, but also understand that, like, it's not personal if someone doesn't get back to you or they don't hire you. Like, I feel terrible about all the people who have contacted me and been like, Do you have any work for me? Do you have any work for me? Can you put me on this project? And I'm like, I am getting 30 messages like that in a day sometimes. And I'm like, It's not a personal thing. I just can't wade through them which is maybe not great. Maybe I should focus more on wading through them. But yeah, I don't have a huge influx of people reaching out to me, but I will say some of the best subcontractors that I work with today have come in that type of capacity where they've reached out and said like, and it's always a very particular type of email that I get too. It's like, hey, I know exactly who you are. I understand the clients that you work with. I'm also in this niche, but maybe I'm not quite as busy as you are. And I'm looking to fill up my pipeline. Um, here are some samples of my work. Please let me know like, if there's anything I can help you with. So it's definitely not like a very bland, like, hey, I need work. It's very specific. They've done their homework. They have some background expertise that aligns with the work that I'm doing. It's very strategic. That's the type of email that I look for for those. One thing that I see sometimes is like freelance writers get in touch with me and it seems really good. And then I look through their samples and I'm like, I don't know if this person is that good at writing, which I don't know. It's interesting because in some ways everyone can be a freelance writer, but like not everyone has an excellent command of the English language and maybe needs some, some practice at it too. So I do recommend. Yeah. So go listen to the portfolio episode. Yeah, listen episode. to the portfolio episode, totally. I will say that subcontractors can totally change the game and help you out in your business. I have found that hiring them has helped me with burnout. It's helped me be able to take a vacation, which we discussed in the previous episode. Yeah, it's it's been a game changer for me, and it sounds like it has been for you too, Kaylee. Yeah, it really has. And I really strongly recommend it to anybody who's reaching that point where they feel super overwhelmed, they feel like very burnout, it's definitely a viable option. As long as you have some upfront work done, you have some documentation, you get your ducks in a row and you just kind of take things slowly, it can totally change your business. Yes, start slow, start by subcontracting out one piece, see how it goes and you can go from there. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Freelance Writing Coach Podcast. If you want more tips, tricks, and resources for building your business, visit freelancewritingcoachpodcast.com. Yeah.